0: Today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I discuss some of the latest details on proposals for the NBA to return to play. We go over some stray thoughts from last week's Brett Brown conference call and discuss Vasily Michik and whether or not the Sixers should consider bringing over the six foot six Serbian point guard. Enjoy the podcast. Today's episode of the Sixers Beat is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. All right. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Fodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. I guess real quick, because I always forget to do this. If you are not an Athletics subscriber and you've been on the fence, uh, you can head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat. You can get 40% off of a yearly subscription. You get not just myself and Rich and Mike O'Connor on the Sixers, but you also get, you know, Matt Gelb and Megan Montemuro on the Phillies. You get Zach Berman and Bo Wolf, and occasionally Shil Kapadia, uh, who is does a lot of national stuff now, but he he comes down with the plebs every now and then and talks about the Eagles as well. You get them on the Eagles, and then you get Charlie O'Connor, an excellent writer on the Flyers. Like I said, if you've been on the fence, um, head on over there. You get the discount; we get credit for sending you there. It's a win-win, um, and I I think you will enjoy the coverage. And with that sort of sales pitch out of the way, how you doing, Rich? I'm okay, man. I uh, I have
1: a burning question, though, that I've been thinking about all day. Was okay. Sam Hickey a good GM? <laughs> uh,
0: you know, it's amazing to... Because that question... So I guess the reference there is is WIP had a... They're having a uh, basically a week where they debate the topics that we've debated way too much over the past couple of years. And one of those topics is whether or not Sam Hickey was a good general manager it was if you listen to it it was exactly like a flashback to four years ago where everybody reiterated the same points they made a long time ago nobody changed their opinion and everyone just called each other stupid so yes
1: that's that's okay though because we were debating we weren't debating this we we both think and know he was a good gm but we talked about the process for what, two podcast episodes with Oh for sure. For sure. One with uh your own and his book and then the next podcast, we had so much fun talking about it, we said, Why don't we just talk about it on our own? And yep. it's always a, a fun thing to talk about. But uh yeah, he was a good GM.
0: It uh yeah, well and then we had last week where we talked about the draft picks, some of which were made uh made by him. So yeah, I mean look uh, going back over top, you know, content that you've hashed out before is, look, we're we're all dealing with the same pandemic with no sports, so you have to create content how you can. Um, but it was just amazing how nobody's opinion has changed in all this time. It was, it was fun stuff.
1: Do you know who surprisingly had a very good hinky take, in my opinion? Who? Mr. Charles Barkley. He, okay. he basically said that he thought everything about hinky – was overblown from like a story standpoint and he said that he thought perhaps he got a little bit too much credit but the idea that like he was tanking and that this was like a morally reprehensible thing Barkley was like yeah no it's that's what you should do and uh and he put them on a path to win for the next five years basically with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid so I was not surprised I was uh I was I'm sorry. I was surprised. I was not expecting Charles to have that. He's one of my favorites of all time. I don't usually agree with his basketball takes, but no, that doesn't really matter. That's not
0: why he's there.
1: But it's nice when I do agree and uh he uh he seemed to have a, a level-headed take on this, which was good.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, if we can TLDR, like he inherited a team with no stars, no cap room, uh few draft picks and no real relevancy and he Left them with Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, the number three pick in the draft that they got from pick swap, the and the the trade assets that became Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris and two max cap slots. Um, it's pretty uh, you know, look, w- was he perfect? No, like the Giannis draft, the Porzingis draft, those were pretty big mistakes. Do we know whether or not he could have succeeded in this next part of this rebuild? No, we don't. He never, never really got the chance to. But in terms of going from a, a place with no pathways to superstars to one with multiple superstars and more pathways to a third or a fourth, like what they accomplished over a three year span, it was it was certainly good for the franchise. So but we don't need to
1: Yeah, you, you offered some serious hinky takes. Wow, that was <laughs> I can just you know, I, I can just throw a little Little hinky, little process stuff in there, and y- you'll take it and run with
0: it. It just, it, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And it, it, nope, nope, not going to do it. All right, so moving on. Impressed you caught yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, it's just funny because like you and I basically started off at Liberty Ballers where we just complained about the broken system and the need to pick at the top of the draft and all this stuff. And then it actually played out. And so it's not even really about Hanky, It's about the broken system. And I could go on about the lottery system and free agency system and why everything is, but we really don't need to do that right now. So we had a couple of, of updates from both Woj and Zach Lowe, and then also from Sam Amick and Shams on sort of like a return to play. Not, I wouldn't call it a plan yet, but sort of what is being most frequently discussed as a potential plan down the road. And the plan the,
1: before the plan. Right. The right. plan for the plan.
0: Yeah. So basically, it sounds like the most talked about possibilities would be a full training camp starting in mid-June, playing games in mid-July. That it right now seems like Orlando is a front runner in terms of a city to a, a sole location to host all of this it would be a sole location not like east in orlando and west in vegas it looks like right now it's trending towards just orlando um and then some other stuff like there would be daily testing no stoppages for us a, 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 like the the league wouldn't stop if somebody tested positive for coronavirus it would not be a, a pure bubble meaning that players could enter and leave from the area that they would be holding it in That, to Um, me, is
1: the most interesting part
0: of it. Yeah. And so exactly what that means, like I said, it's more the plan before the plan. But at the very least, what I would take from that real quick TLDR, and look, head on over to The Athletic, head on over to ESPN, read both of those articles, but what I would take from that is that there's increasing confidence that we will get something if, if the status quo doesn't sort of change. But it looks like we are trending towards something where the NBA is going to try to finish out this season, which... I think we always sort of expected that they would try. Now what that means, like I said, there's still a lot that has to happen before this becomes a reality. There's a lot that could go wrong between now and then, or even after they start, we'll see what happens, but it seems like there is momentum towards trying. So,
1: yeah. And I think if you listen to Woj and, and Shams and most of these people who are plugged in with the league and reporting on the developments to return to play, A lot of them indicate that it's almost next year that Adam Silver is more worried about because there is an acceptance for this season that, hey, we can basically try to recoup the TV money, but fans are just – that's out of the question. And I think – I forget who I can attribute this to. I think it was Woj that Silver said 40% of the revenue
0: comes from (laughs) – as Brett Brown the said. Brett, the bums and seats. I was going to bring that <laughs> up too. Yeah. That was, great. that was great. So we had a conference call with Brett Brown last week and he referred to this revenue, like how much of the revenue came from fans in attendance and he called it bums in seats multiple times and it was- Delightful. Yeah. It was definitely in my notes from that conference call, but go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: The, uh, no, it was, uh, it stood out to me too. But I think there is like a recognition that Hey, we're just not going to have fans right now. And, you know, that's, that's just the way the world is right now. And that's the way our our country, it's just not going to allow for that. But next year, next season, you know, when that
0: might be next year.
1: Yeah. You know, we're we're right before Christmas, but it seems like it's trending in that direction. I think there's less of an acceptance and there's, there's more of an urgency to get those bums in seats if they can. I think, uh. I think Woe just pointed out, like, part of the reason they are going to push that date back, besides, you know, that you need an offseason after having these potential playoffs in the the late summer, you don't want to just jump right back into it three weeks later. I don't think the players would have agreed to that. But another reason he said is, you know, the further you push out those dates, the better chance there is a vaccine or a treatment or whatever that makes it feasible to get some more of those uh, those bums and seats but so so that's that's one thing as far as the bubble this season though I am very curious to see what the you know modified bubble they're talking about looks like because you know again I, I read a quote from Michelle Roberts a few weeks ago saying that she thought it sounded like a, a form of incarceration I think I'm somewhat paraphrasing there but i think i think she said something along those lines and i think just what she meant is that you know it would be very restrictive to be in that bubble for a couple of months um, i don't think she was comparing it to actual incarceration but i i just wonder if like that really compromises your ability to pull it off i, I know you know the nba and and these reporters are are citing orange county in florida has been it's not a very hard hit place but you know, just like one flare up and and I understand it's the summer, but I I think the idea that it would be a less restricted bubble while that's, you know, that's probably better for the individual people involved it would allow them some freedom and to see their families and be able to move in and out. You just wonder, you know, I I think they're prepared for one or two positive COVID tests, but what happens if that results in? 10 to 12. And I don't know. I guess that's the, the the logistics of how they are going to try to contain the virus, because I think a lot of these people have pointed out, hey, it's uh, it's not going to be 100% safe. There's just no way you can guarantee that nowadays. On the other hand, I think you want to take the best precautions possible to keep it safe. And uh, I'm not sure... Limiting restrictions would be great for that. But uh, again, I think we're still a little bit of a ways off for that. And I'd like to see what exactly that uh, that looks like from the NBA's uh, planning, you know, when that comes out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but it does seem like we are getting close to maybe finding out more of those details. So we will, we will be on the lookout for that.
1: I like the Orlando choice, though. That's where I would do it. I
0: just what think a- it
1: has a better chance to work,
0: like yeah. private property and... One know, of that. the other reports was Houston, which was interesting, a little bit out of left field. Uh, I don't know enough about Houston or the feasibility of it, but that was one that we had not heard before. All right, let's pause for one brief break to hear from the Black Tux. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suitor tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it out one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code Sixers. That's theBlackTux.com code sixers for 10% off your purchase. The black tux formal wear for the moment. And now back to the show. All right. So I guess moving on, did you have any real main takeaways from the Brett Brown press availability, you know, outside of the bums and seats, which we have already covered. (laughs) Um, You know, he, he brought up a bunch of stuff on how they're preparing on injury updates on his thoughts on his future. If the season does not, does not resume, which again, I think we all expect them to at least try, but any major thoughts on, uh, on what he said?
1: Not any overarching. Big crock,
0: crock pot guy. He's a big crock pot guy. Um, can't screw up a beef stew. So if you need a uh, cooking advice in the pandemic, that is Brett Brown's advice.
1: No, I, I think it was all smaller takeaways from, from what he said, you know, and I think we, we wrote about that on, uh, the athletic.com slash Philly. There is a 30- is or 90-day free trial. There's one of those
0: going on right now. No, no. Go to slash Sixers beat so we get credit for you. And then go to slash Philly so you can read that article. So, you know, there,
1: there were smaller takeaways, right? Like we wrote about the idea of how he's trying to scout his own team first before moving on to the potential playoff matchups. And, you know, he, he mentioned that the three teams – that the Sixers coaching staff are going to look at are Toronto, Miami, and Boston. That makes sense, because they're not going to play Indiana. I thought it was interesting that Milwaukee was not listed, though, because if you were to resume the season and edge ahead of Indiana, then Milwaukee's waiting in, in round two after they beat the shit out of somebody in the first round. So I thought that was a little bit weird that he said that he wasn't looking at Milwaukee, but I think that the overarching take from their scouting is that they were going to focus on their own offense and their own defense and their own special teams and all that good stuff first, which to me makes sense because they were a maddening team all season and you need to get your house in order before figuring out whether to blitz Jason Tatum on the, uh, on the high ball screen. Um, I thought it was interesting when he was talking about some of the games that they played. His favorite game of the season was against the LA Clippers. And to me, the reason that was interesting, I agree with him. That was a very good performance. I would say outside of Milwaukee, and I guess maybe the Lakers game too, because that was without Embiid. That was, yeah, that was the best performance of the season. But uh, I think what was interesting about that game is that Al Horford came off the bench in that game.
0: Yep. It was the first one, right?
1: Yeah. this was I really remember, the only one. I mean, was that? It was the only one, really, right? Didn't he come back and start after the All Star break because
0: Simmons wasn't ready to play? He did come back and start. I forget if it was the only game though. Okay, whatever. But it was. The they first they had all those injuries with Embiid and then Richardson and then Simmons. And it yeah.
1: didn't last long. Horford on the bench, but that was out of
0: necessity. God, I'll never forget, like the announcement that Shake was going to start. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" And then Shake Milton did what shake Milton apparently does. And he has turned us all into, uh, into believers.
1: Yeah. Now it's wait, shake Milton's not starting. What's going <laughs> on?
0: <laughs> you idiots. No, yeah. yeah. No, the shake Milton gets his first start of the season against, uh, against that team, Paul George and Kawhi, and all that. Yeah. It was a, a big spot to be in. And, um, no, that was a Furcon start. That was a Furcon start. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. No, the, the shake game was against the Lakers.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, other other L A team. Um, yeah, no, I mean, look, that was certainly one of the better games of the season. It was like you said, the first time. Horf- yeah, that's right. It was it was Furkan had just come off those two thirty point explosions, and it yeah, came the best out player in a, the world at that had point. Had a stinker, and I was that was the only game he started after that point, right? I don't think he started anymore after that. I think uh,
1: Comcast or uh, sorry, NBC Sports replayed the Furcon Bulls game. <laughs>
0: i i do i love the fact that we get press releases every time that and nbc sports has a, a a scheduling update now um well
1: and megan montemuro for our site wrote a story about how they decide on these games apparently it's not as easy as playing their old games like they had to schedule sixers games on nights they would have sixers games and phillies games on nights when they have <laughs> phillies games and it was it was a more limited number of uh of games than they could. So I, I was, uh, you know, looking at some of the games they were showing and, and now it's, it's kind of easy to be snarky because like they're, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Like we all are, we were talking about that earlier with WIP. We all are trying to figure out how to watch something, but yeah, the, uh, Furkan Korkmaz, uh, heat check games against Chicago and Memphis in February after oh, a four insane. game losing streak. Yeah. They were fun, but I, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm going to, th- Tell my kids about that. <laughs> Look, Maybe he, I will.
0: I don't know. He dropped 13 threes in two games. He was on fire.
1: Maybe I will. Who knows? <laughs> but, uh,
0: and then that was it. He was done. He used all of his, uh, Furcon energy in one game. You shot yeah, him.
1: Yeah. I thought that was interesting, though, that he picked the Clippers game as the best one because the other thing I remember from that game, too, was Embiid and Simmons, they ran a lot of, snug pick and roll. They were both good together. You know, it was the game where I think Simmons had 26, 10 and 10. And then the next time they played the Clippers, when shake had 39 points and they lost Howard Eskin tweeted that this is why Ben Simmons will never lead the Sixers to a championship, Definitely. even though he had just beaten that team with a triple double was a, uh, it was a weird example but it was a game where, yeah, where Simmons and I personally
0: would have expected pers- perfect logic from Howard Eskin, so I'm really surprised that one slipped through.
1: Me too. Me too. That's, that's why I pointed it out. But, um, that was a game, yeah, where those two, I, I forget what M. B. stat line was, but I just remember that being like a real high-level basketball game. And, and we talked about it, you know, after that game happened, it was about three months ago now, feels like three years ago but we took we were like man they really needed that game going into the break to feel good about themselves and uh yeah it was one of their their better games and i wonder if that is a uh a clue on how they're going to try to play when they come back because ben it seems like he is going to come back and i guess that was the other takeaway we still don't know what exactly he did to his back but we know he threw up a lot when he heard it
0: yeah yeah, that one came out of left field. Um, and again, Brett, for the most part, said he is, you know, good to go. He's worked hard. He's come back. He he gave a a thumbs up on Joel Embiid, saying that he uh, realizes what he has to do to get himself in condition. Um, as you mentioned in the piece, we have sort of heard that before. So we will have I've, to. It's a show me. Um, I've heard Korea best fitness a yeah. lot. And. uh
1: that hasn't been the case. So, no. you know, whether or not he realizes it, that that's great. You got to do it. So,
0: uh, you know, I think maybe the most surprising one, maybe was, he was asked whether or not, um, he had thought about what his future would be with the team. If the play doesn't resume. And he, you know, he basically says like, you're human and, and, and you think about it. He says, I wouldn't say you think about it to the point where it weighs you down, but I get it. Um, And then he transitioned, probably caught himself a little bit and transitioned to, like, all we can do is prepare and all this kind of stuff. But he was a little bit more frank, I think, than we would have expected, especially since, you know, he, he always jokes that he's being fired every year by the media. You know, I think deep down, everyone sort of realized there could be changes if this team underperforms. So, you know, we will... Basically, his conclusion was, like, we feel cocky that we've done good work here during the stoppage. And we want to have a chance to prove who we are in the playoffs. Reiterated that he believes that they are a playoff team, a team built for the playoffs. And I feel this strongly for me, this is incomplete. Basically, Yeah. I am. Um, I'm
1: not totally surprised that he was that Frank about it, especially since he's had time to reflect on it. Like when he, gets angry with the media or just like doesn't give you a ton, which isn't always, but it's when the news cycle is just constantly beating them over the head with crazy Sixer story after crazy Sixer story after beat injury after, you know, all of this stuff. Um, So, so I wasn't completely surprised by that. It does have to be a weird situation though, where, you know, like he said, or like he said, he is human. And that is, weighing in the back of his mind while he's also like, all right, we need to get shake Milton and Ben Simmons and more pick and rolls. It's just got to (laughs) happen while you just don't know if you're going to play at all. Yep. And, uh, I think that's certainly got to be a weird situation for him and the entire coaching staff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right. So I guess I don't really have that many more new takeaways from the Brett Brown press conference. Um, He really
1: likes the last dance.
0: Yes. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Uh, he, he, I mean, I think it it came for ESPN and ESPN, I think has been struggling for content too, but they had this sort of in their back pocket. I think moving it, you know, because this was originally going to air later moving it to where they did, I think was a very smart decision on their part because it really got pretty much all of the basketball and even more generalized sporting world talking about it. Um, and yeah, I think, I think Brett was, you know, a big fan. He, he mentioned that he was watching it, um, sort of see how other sort of successful organizations, because he was obviously a part with San Antonio, uh, handled it and what he could take from that to show to Ben and Joel specifically. Yeah. Be I an mean, asshole. It was, in, in, in terms Call your of... teammates,
1: hoes guys. <laughs> That's how you win a title. <laughs>
0: <laughs> in, in terms of sports content, there's pretty much been that and then um, Game of Zones and that's really all we have.
1: Yeah. Did you watch The Last Dance? I know last time I, I talked to you about it.
0: So So I, I guess get this out of the way. I recorded all of them. My thing was I wanted to basically binge watch it and I didn't want to watch them two hours at a time. So I was going to do that this weekend where my plan was to watch five hours of it on Saturday, three hours of it Sunday before it aired and then the final two hours. And I just got caught up with other shit. Uh, so I have not yet watched The Last Dance. No, I am caught up on Game of Zones though. So I guess that sort of shows you where my priorities lie. Of course, you're also talking about a, a series that is what for the final season, maybe 40 minutes compared to 10 hours. So it was a little easier, but yeah. You know. You're a binger when it comes yes, to those shows. Yes, I definitely am. I definitely am. The, sure. And the problem with that though is that once you sort of commit to that, like, I I'm sitting there and it's like, well, if I don't have five hours and I don't want to even start it. So it's been a, it's been a little tough to get, get that kicked off the ground, but yeah. Yeah. All right. So moving on, one of the things we wrote on the athletic this week was sort of like a, I guess a round table on, uh, Mitchick, the big point guard, big Serbian point guard, the Sixers drafted back in 2014, 2014. Am I right? Yeah, I think I, you are it right. It sounds about right. Late second round pick, I think the fifty-second or fifty-fourth pick in the twenty fourteen draft, has been playing overseas in Europe. Um, had a couple injuries there after the Sixers drafted him, has played the last two years with the Fs, I think. Is it two years? Yes. Um, with Fez. And of course, if you recognize that name, it's because Dario played there, it's because Furkan Korkmaz played there. The Sixers have had a couple of players now. The pipeline. Now. What was that? The pipeline. Yeah. Philly. It's it's been uh Sixers East but um so we, we spent some time watching uh you know his, his a couple of his games from this year each and you know I'll say this I think I was pretty impressed with what I saw like he certainly has definite clear skills and now whether or not the, the comp the contract gets a little bit complicated um, because he's a second round pick, he's not bound by any kind of rookie scale, his buyout is, I want to say right around a million euros his contract for next season would be between a million and a half to 2 million euros. I'm still trying to pin down some numbers. But basically the Sixers wouldn't be able to just offer him like a minimum contract. Uh, that would not get him to come over here. They would have to probably have to offer him at least a portion if not all of their taxpayer mid-level assuming there is a taxpayer mid-level when we figure out all the cap stuff that they're going to have to figure out with this whole pandemic and loss of revenue. Um they'd so probably have to offer a good chunk of that and Probably just as importantly, they would have to offer a decent role in terms of playing time for him to make the jump from high-level European basketball where he's playing a starting role as a point guard on team who was, I think, in first place in the Euro League before they they shut down the season. Yep. So it's not like the Sixers can just be like, hey, come over here. Like they have to make it really enticing for him. So looking at it through that vein, it was like, well, is this guy actually worth it? And I think I came away pretty impressed. You know he has real legit vision at six six. He has, I think his shot is. I th- I think he will be able to make NBA three pointers. There's some stuff we'll get into in a second, but I think I think he's a, a real legitimate shooter. And I think those two things are things that they really need. And I remember watching him leading up to the 2014 draft uh, while I was working with Draft Express, and he was a lot thinner, a lot frailer. And I think he's put on some pretty good size, so I think he can certainly compete against NBA size and strength. It's the athleticism we'll Speed. get to in a bit. Yeah, <laughs> But uh, certainly a very skilled playmaker and shooter.
1: First off, it felt great to watch those EuroLeague games
0: again. Yes. A I part think I, of our, our basketball coverage that we have missed.
1: I think I watched about 12, and it really didn't take me that long because, again, I was just watching... When Mitch was playing, he's not playing the whole game.
0: Also, we have nothing else to do.
1: Yeah, they're only forty minutes long, too. Yeah, and that's true. We have no other games to watch. So really, it, you know, when we tackled that assignment, I really didn't feel pressured at all. Like I I got that done in in short order. And it yeah, was
0: look, we it's like we spent a whole lot of time on it. I think we we started working on it like a week before we wrote the article. So like. You watched 12 games. I think I watched like nine or 10 and we did that in like a week span. So like we really had nothing else to do.
1: Yeah, no. And it only took me like three days to watch all those games. I I blew through them. The, uh, the announcers are very funny. They're, I don't know. It's like an Australian guy who gets really excited about some weird stuff. He's, uh, he's delightful listening to him. I think it's the same guy who, uh, who called the games when Dario was playing. That's, really the last time I remember watching the Euroleague broadcast it uh yeah and it, it's like you were saying FS the, the Sixers have had a, a few players from there they're awesome now like they, yes. they they've always been a you know one of the better teams in Europe but when Dario was there I don't know how many teams are in the Euroleague I want to say like 24 maybe and and they come from all these different countries uh, you know Greece Italy France Germany turkey russia but a bunch of places lithuania um when Dario was there they were i don't know eighth like seventh or eighth but they the difference between the seventh or eighth best team you know you make the playoffs the top eight make the playoffs the difference between that team and the best team is usually a a pretty big difference and the, you know, historically, the best teams have been Real Madrid. I think everybody knows their soccer team. Cheska Moscow, that's the other one. Uh, th- those are considered the best ones. Well, guess what? Mitchich and uh, and Shane Larkin, who, you know, I think most people know he was, on, uh, he was on Boston a few years ago, first round pick, you know, way back when, I don't know, 2014, 2012, Barry Larkin's son played for University of Miami. Those two showed up, I believe, last season. And FS went from, you know, kind of like a middling team to they lost in the finals to Cheska last year.
0: Well, you, you left out the star of the show, <laughs> James Anderson. Yes. I mean, number six James Anderson. They have a lot of like that.
1: That's the fun thing about I watching. Can't. Like,
0: James Anderson, I think, averaged like four points a game for them.
1: Yeah. But remember he had like 38 against Houston in like his third or fourth <laughs> game. They lost, but it was pretty funny. Uh He doesn't ever really score on this team from what I've seen, which is funny because I was talking to Shane Larkin about it. And he said, you know, we have all these guys and he mentioned Anderson. So I think it goes to show like, I think Mitchich is averaging like somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 and five, 15 and six. Those are huge numbers for the League. It's a, it's a slow half court team oriented game. Guys are not putting up major numbers there. So, like when James Anderson is scoring six points a game and doing it for a team that is uh in first place, it actually is making a difference. But there's a lot of guys on those teams. There's uh
0: So so there is one other Sixers connection on that team. Can you guess it? This is some real process trivia here. Did they draft Tibor Place? They traded for him. They traded Kendall Marshall for him. Yes. He was the one I was talking about.
1: Okay. Yeah, that, that that's one. I mean, there are a few other guys. Krunoslav Simon, I don't think anybody knows him, but I watched so much Croatia when Dario played for them that uh Krunoslav is a good uh you know, Bogdanovich would never let him shoot because Bogdanovich is the is the FIBA Kobe, but uh right. but S-Simon and Dario were pretty good together. So he plays on that team. Roddy Bobois plays on that team. And uh yeah, basically All of those guys, but led by Michich and Larkin. They're the best team in Europe now, 24-4. and And uh, I think for a Sixers team that is looking for somebody to contribute right away, I think that's a good sign. You know, we we talked, I think a couple weeks ago, how it was impressive that Porzingis was putting up numbers when he was 19 on the worst team in the Spanish ACB. When you're talking about a guy who's 26 years old and you're looking to contribute right away for an awesome team. If he was playing for some garbage team in the League, I think I would be less interested, right. but no, like he is, he's putting up these great numbers and they're winning a ton of games. I mean, I think they are right now. They're the best team outside and of the NBA.
0: 24 and four. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I actually, I'm working on a story with a little more detail, we kind of just went over his game and in, in the piece me, you and Mike did, you know, I, I'm trying to learn a little bit more about him, but I did talk to Shane Larkin, who I think the athletic did a survey recently on who the best player outside of America is, you know, the best player playing in Europe. And I think Mike James, who used to play for the Suns, I think uh, he plays for Moscow. Now uh, he won, but Larkin was second and, uh, and Mitchish was right there too. He uh he talked about how he has had conversations with mitchich where I think Mitchich wants to play in the NBA, but you know, Larkin's been a lottery pick. He's been a guy who's a third point guard. He's you know, he's been guaranteed twenty minutes a game regardless of how crappy he's playing. He's gotten 30 DNPs no matter how much he's pushed people in practice. I think he has told Mitchich that make sure you go over there with an actual role. So I don't think, you know, with, without um, talking to Mitch yet, I don't think he's going to come over here. And I, I guess the, the only caveat I would say is I'm not sure what the EuroLeague's finances are going to look like next year either. Yep, They could be really bad. And although FS were, and just like his general level is one of the better players in Europe, you, you would think he's going to be well compensated over there regardless. I, I just want to say like, that that is a caveat. Um, I don't think he's going to come over here to be Howell Neto, right? Or to be Trey Burke. Like he's going to need financial compensation, like you said, and I think he's going to need assurance that hey, you're going to play. So that's that's part of it, and that that could complicate things. But yeah, you know, as far as his game goes, I've always enjoyed watching him. He was kind of my. Uh, one of my draft crushes back in 2014 when we were at Liberty Ballers, just because of this one random FIBA U19 championship game when he played against a bunch of Americans and he was awesome and and he was running the pick and roll and he was great. I watched that and kind of fell in love with this game. He's still got a lot of those qualities that I, I liked back then. He's got great feel. I mean, just like him running a pick and roll is really impressive. It's He's got every pass that you want. He's got the, uh, you know, if they put two guys on the ball and they double team and the, his big guy, uh, slips, he'll throw it right over the top, right on time. Um, and let that guy play four on three easily. If the uh, opponent big man, if he hedges too far, he will split the defense, get into the paint, and find people. And if he wants to toy with that backside defender, you can do that too. Um, and then I guess the big thing with Ben Simmons is, uh, you know, we, we were skeptical of the Josh Richardson pairing working because, I, and I think you pointed this out first, why don't you just go under? And that makes Ben Simmons a lot less threatening as a roller. And it makes Josh Richardson, who does not seem to want to pull that jump shot a lot from three. Mitch, from what I saw, he, when teams went under on him, he was firing. And I think he was 39.7% from 3 in the early it's only about 153s but i don't know from what i saw you know it, it was a little bit streaky it wasn't the quickest release in the world but uh that's a selling point is that he runs the hell out of a pick and roll and for all the weaknesses we can get into here i uh i do think his strengths match up pretty decently with what we have been saying this team needs
0: that's funny i forgot that you did mitchick for the draft crushes. So Pimp your was,
1: Prospect I think is what yes. it was called.
0: Um so this was a series we did back in 2014 for Liberty Ballers, the 2014 draft. I had a I had Clint Capella on that one. So we we had to pick people who were going to be drafted outside of the lottery. Um so I had I had Capella on that one. I forgot I forgot you had Mitchick. That's that's a good good way to tie this all together.
1: I was fired up when Hickey took him. I was like three <laughs> three or four years from now, not not six years. Not six. Yeah. He uh, hey. he had been hurt for a few years in yes. uh, in Europe, and I think that's that's part of his story too. Is that it didn't? He was one of the, the better prospects in Europe when he was nineteen, but he he dealt with some injuries. He he played for a few different teams. I'm looking at him now, Bayern, uh, zalgaris which is in Lithuania for uh, Sarunas Jasikevicius, the former NBA player. That was a very good
0: job on that name, Rich. I'm very impressed.
1: Thank you. He was a uh, he was. One of my favorite players when I was younger because he was awesome. So what
0: the two years he was in the NBA?
1: Well, I'm thinking more of the uh, the oh4 and 2000 Olympics too. Okay, they they gave the U.S. a run. I think in part because I thought his name was pretty cool. But <laughs> I expect him to be an NBA coach at some point too. It seems like he's uh, he's already considered one of Europe's best coaches. Anyway, with back to Micic. Uh it it's didn't a,
0: honestly when he first came with the Pacers, like I I thought he was gonna. Stick around for a little bit. I'm surprised he, uh, he left so quickly. Anyway, it, we don't need to talk <laughs> about 2005 Pacers teams. So. Sure.
1: Dan, Danny Granger, good player. <laughs> yes. The uh, But yeah, for, for Mitic, it did not happen as quickly as maybe you thought. Like for him to establish himself as one of the better players in Europe. But now he clearly is.
0: All right, let's pause for one more break. This time to hear from Roman. If you were to guess on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments, and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com Sixers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash Sixers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. And now back to the podcast. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, he's he's the shot is not the quickest, but it certainly has NBA range. And with a six he's got a pretty high release point. He can hit that in a step back. Like, he has a real good right-to-left crossover. Not real good, but one that he can use to get into a shot. Like, there's nothing he does at a quick enough level that you would say is real good.
1: On a Um, one to Doncic, it's like a, it's like a six or a seven, but he's pretty comfortable getting it off. I was, I was impressed with
0: it. Yeah. He's comfortable with the shot. He's comfortable with a deep range on it. And between that and his height and being able to pass over the defense, like it's real hard to trap him, which I think is real important when you're talking about Ben Simmons. Um, he can make that sort of skip pass to the corner. Like he's got bounce passes out the wazoo. (laughs) He has a lot of You know, he's, he's just got a lot of creativity. Like there is stuff that, yeah. Like on a team that just doesn't have any real quick decision makers, he would be a breath of fresh air. Now.
1: (laughs) Wait, one more, one more thing before we get to the negative too. The, The other thing that's important about European basketball, the paint is clocked.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: In European basketball.
0: So I think. Also he's slow as dirt, but go ahead.
1: Okay. Yeah. No, but like there, there are real reasons why the NBA is tougher. But if you've heard like Luka Doncic talk about it, he's like, well, look, the NBA is harder, but for me to score, you know, a lot of people were knocking my ability to, to get all the way to the rim in, uh, in Madrid. And to be clear, part of it was cause Luka was a little chubby in Madrid, but, uh, and he's worked Still on his, chubby. Eh, he's, he's gotten better though. He's, he's worked on his, chubby, but yeah, he's worked on his athleticism in the NBA. It seems like that's benefited him. Um, there's like no defensive three second rule. So. I, I am curious to see what that you're going to talk about the the athleticism deficiency he's going to have in the NBA and that's going to be a big deal I do wonder if the the additional space though will help him out in the NBA that's all
0: yeah no look if when he gets into the paint I think the additional space will help him my concern is like there's so many times you uh, you would see him draw out a switch and he couldn't beat the European big off the dribble like he just, he couldn't. And it's not like one of those ones where like sometimes a guard will like just settle for a jumper. No, like, no like, he was like trying he, and he couldn't beat the European big off the dribble.
1: He was trying multiple crossovers yes. and he couldn't even do it. And this so is like, t-more plays. This is if, not Joel Embiid.
0: Right. So like if he gets switched out onto like Joel Embiid would swallow him up. Swallow him. Yeah. Like Ben Simmons, he would have no chance on. No, he's just, there's he doesn't, he doesn't get from A to B quickly with the ball. Like he just doesn't, he doesn't, it's not his game. Uh, and I I worry that we're gonna it's gonna be even more pronounced in the NBA. But like, look, even if he's not, look, he's got he's got a decent enough dribble. Like he he's got some moves. I think I like his ability
1: to split pick and rolls. That was kind of the sure. one ball handling sure. thing I yeah. thought that was plus. But
0: the bigger concern I think, because look, he, offensively, like if he's on a court, you just put him in like a million pick and rolls, and like he's he's creative enough where if there's even a little bit of a missed rotation or a a, a hesitation, like he's creative enough with the pass that he will make some plays happen as a backup point guard. But you also like, you want him to be able to hang defensively. And I'm just not sure. And look, he's six, six. So he's got some size. He's got some strength too, which is important because what we're going to bring up next, like you're not going to have to tie because that you're not going to have time to a point guard. So you just find the worst, player and put him on there and hope that he can hang but whew, that foot speed is gonna I mean it would cause me you know and look I think he can come over and be a 15 to 20 minute per game role player I think he has enough in his arsenal to do that the question is can he hang in the playoffs defensively and I'm just I'm not sure I'm not sure
1: you know when you mentioned the foot speed who I was thinking of right away Dario
0: that's who Mike brought up in our round table.
1: Uh now, now that you mention it, yeah, it does look like that. But, but just as a comparison, when it comes to an NBA player, one of the Sixers who had to overcome maybe a lack of athleticism in the playoffs, uh, we had him on our podcast a few weeks ago. JJ Reddick is. Who oh I'm thinking. yeah, 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 that one. That,
0: that we've only had one player on the podcast this uh, this this off season, and I I still blanked. That shows where my head is. Yeah.
1: Yeah, your cotton candy brain, you got right now. <laughs> The, um, but like, remember how JJ used to have to hard hedge all the time when yeah, Joe Harris was setting a million screens for, uh, who's that Russell and Dinwiddie and Levert and all those guys. And, and Harris got a lot of okay looks, I would say. And he just didn't make any of that serious, but JJ was pretty admirable in how he continued to execute the scheme one and two, like he just didn't get tired. I don't know if Mitchich could even do that.
0: No, I think JJ is quicker.
1: Yeah. I think he's lighter on his feet. And, uh, I also think like he's, I mean, JJ is in great shape because he, he runs around at all times. And that's, uh, that's probably one of the more underrated things about his game. I don't know. I, I saw Mitch. I think he tries hard defensively. Yeah. But if you're, it doesn't happen quite as much in Europe, but, if a team got caught in rotation and he had to make like a third or fourth effort, there were times on that third rotation where like his gas tank was on him. <laughs> right? and it wasn't for a lack of effort. I don't think he just, he just wasn't getting there. And, you know, I think Mike brought it up in the piece, like him getting around the screen, he tries, like, I think his footwork is good, but man, those feet just don't move very fast. <laughs> no, they don't. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'd be really worried about what he looks like defensively. Um, Yeah. And the athleticism on offense, like finishing around the rim. I don't know if, if you go over on a screen and you make him play one on two with Ben Simmons, I I, I think he's crafty enough to make that work. Like, I think he's just like a fundamentally sound, smart player where I think like he showed a little bit of a floater game, a little bit of a jumper. And you also mentioned, like, he put on weight. I don't know how much of that would matter in the NBA, but there were a few times where he just, like, he stuck his bum. Uh, his, his bum wasn't in a seat, but it was, uh, <laughs> it was a bum on a player. And, uh, you know, it was like one of those James Harden moves where a guy goes flying off of him. And I think he does have enough lower body strength to at least create some space. But, man, like, he can barely jump over a phone book when uh, when he gets there. So, yeah, the, the athleticism is more of a concern on defense, but I think it's a concern on both ends of the floor.
0: Yeah, no, it definitely is. And I mean, it it is, it is, like I said, I think he can play. I think he can play a role in the NBA. I think the Sixers are a good team to put him on because I do think he can play both on and off ball with Simmons. And I think they can work well together and you can have enough versatile defenders where you can hide him as much as you can reasonably expect. You know, the concern comes in as you get deeper in the playoffs and your teams have multiple shot creators and just think back to Boston a couple of years ago, like they would draw him out on switches as much as they could and they'd oh, hunt man. him um, and it would not be. Brad you know,
1: Stevens fucking eyes would light up.
0: Yeah. And like <laughs> if you ever got to the finals and the Lakers or the Clippers too, like it would, it would, you know, uh, there would be concern there. But like
1: the second he stepped on the court, Brad Stevens would run every play. at Yes.
0: A. Yes. But, I mean, most of the people we'd be talking about with this, you know, taxpayer mid-level, there would be concerns there, too. I do think, you know, basically we concluded the piece with, with do you think Sixers should, first of all, do you think he could succeed in a role? And we all pretty much said yes. We think he could be a legitimate rotation player he could on the Sixers. We don't know, though. We no, could. Could. I don't Right. Know. I mean, you, you, you're never going to... Watching ten games, we're not going to know for sure. Um, nobody's going to know for sure until you see him play my, my against big, this competition. But like we think he could. But the my big thing too is, they... is
1: is is the swing skill is the shot to me.
0: Right, right. If that's legit, then you can find. Is a he
1: role. a forty percent shooter? And you know he didn't get a ton of catch and shoots from what I
0: saw. No, me neither.
1: Uh, which I think is just like it's
0: part of the what? way the
1: European game is played. Like teams were yeah. paying a lot of attention and putting often their best defender on, uh, on him. So, you know, if he's left wide open, in the NBA, is that going to be like, you know, is that going to be like Josh Richardson or is that going to be like a 40% shooter who shoots it every time?
0: Right. But the second part of the question was, do you think they should use the taxpayer mid level? And that, you know, kind of have to wait and see who's available and who would be willing to take that. Um, you know, sort of the way I phrase it is they have so few avenues to really acquire talent right now. Um, these decisions you make with the, late first round draft picks. And with these mini mid levels, like you have to really nail it. Um, So is Mitchick going to be the best option? I don't know. I have to see what other options are out there and who would be willing to take that money and play that role. Um, But I think, I I think he's improved enough where he is worked himself into that conversation. I think it's good that the Sixers have, um, you know, have this option to them. It's good for him that good for them that he has developed and we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I think I, I, that's was, a, I was pleasantly surprised watching play, though. Is sort of how I'll conclude it
1: concluded. I would agree with that, and it's it's not a thing where I think it's a definite that they should bring him over, because, you know, the mid level exception might get you a pretty decent player, because a lot of these veteran guards, they're gonna be shit out of luck. I mean, they were gonna be shit out of luck anyway, because most of the teams with actual cap space are rebuilding type team. So they they were going to be looking to pay money to a very specific type of player. But yeah, I think there's, you know, it it also depends on what happens with like Al Horford too. Like if you're able to trade him for somebody who's like, who fits better with Ben Simmons and Joe Embiid, who's more of a guard. Um, Then I think you could use that mid-level on a backup center and get a, a very good backup center potentially. Just because of the way, um, sort of, the replacement value at that position is—it's higher. Yep. Uh, so, so that's another, you know, moving part. I know. I'm curious to see what the Sixers think about Mitchich. I think doesn't seem like there was like a ton of interest in the past, but you know, who, who knows? He, uh, it, it's like you said, he's definitely turned himself into one of the better players in Europe, and for a team that is is kind of starved for his his skill set, I don't think it's a slam dunk that he would be an upgrade. I I would admittedly be rooting for it because you know, I was pimping him in 2014. I want to be right. And <laughs> he's also fun to watch, too. I don't want to uh and I don't want to kind of gloss over that. He's if things work out for him, I think he's somebody that a lot of Sixers fans would really like. Um uh, but yeah, I don't think it's a slam dunk that he would be a contributor on a great team. But I do think he has legitimately worked his way into that conversation. And that's, yeah. uh, for a team with limited options, that's cool.
0: Yeah. And I, I had somebody ask, well, what makes him better than Sergio Rodriguez? Well, he's 6'6". He's 6'6". Six, six. Six, six. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's a, a pretty big difference. Um, so, especially when you start talking about defensively.
1: He's 6'6", six, six and well-built. Sergio was 6'2". And he was and skinny. Yeah. yeah. He was also hurt too. I think he could have played better that season. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I I, I like Micic. I, I don't know if he's, he's in the plans, but I do think it's something they should at least look at.
0: Yep. All right. Sounds good. I think that's a good place to cut it off. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on. And as always, we will talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Well, I guess I'll talk to you soon and everybody else. Why do I say that? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Have a good one.